Time to talk shooty hoops as the regular season draws to a close. Can Ohio State clinch the double bye in the Big Ten tournament? Have their chances for a regular season Big Ten title waved bye-bye? And gosh, are these Buckeyes going to be, you know, a 9 or 10 seed? Sources on Twitter are saying. Let's talk about it in this episode of the Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with Johnny Ginner and special guest, our consigliere of all things Ohio State basketball-related, Chris Lauderback. Chris, I, I have to say up front because people might take this too seriously i was being facetious in my last little tease there about this team being a nine or ten seed but i want to start with the the reality that ohio state basketball fandom is very very different from ohio state football fandom can can you explain what the hell is wrong with us as a fan base when it comes to observing basketball relative to our obscenely high expectations for football and what maybe our expectations should be as fans of the local basketball team yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting conundrum, no doubt about it. It's funny, on Twitter, you get the fringe lunatics, and if you just listen to them, you would think that the expectations are Final Four or bust every year. Um, but, yeah, I, I find it when you talk with most level-headed people, the expectations are, are, are quite different and fall short of what we would expect for football. And, you know, and to some degree, I think we would all probably concur that, that you know, that that's realistic. Obviously, Ohio State football expectations are what they are because of literal decades of success that, you know, the basketball team has you know, never really matched. So to think that, you know, expectations should be the same as they are for football, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm probably not going to, you know, I'm willing to not go that far. But I do think, generally speaking, that the expectations are lower than they should be. Um, you, don't, you don't hear a lot of outrage from most fans at Ohio State is, you know, not really come close to a Big Ten title uh, under Holtman, a Big Ten regular season title, and hasn't reached the second weekend of the tournament yet. You got some COVID, you have a cancellation, you got some different things at play there, but the, you know, kind of, I want to say under, underachieved, there's been years where they've underachieved, I think, but uh, it, it's just interesting to me that the, the basketball, the general Ohio State basketball fan has nowhere near the same expectations for, um, you know, basketball as it does football. That's the thing that kind of baffles me. And part of the reason I led with this question is on the one hand, you know, I, I have totally observed what you're saying that our uh, appreciation, I say our in the Royal sense here is, as as the say the Ohio state universe in general, that maybe we don't understand how we should evaluate basketball relative to any of the other sports in the portfolio uh, in Columbus, that either our expectations are obscenely low or, ridiculously high like it doesn't seem like there's a whole heck of a lot of middle ground in in the average fan base is, is football just warped our perception so so broadly and, and maybe the corollary question the follow-up question is what should a reasonable uh, an, an erudite fan of the Buckeyes as such you know we have in abundance at 11 Warriors what should an, a, a well-read fans expectations for this program be i don't mean this year specifically but just year right. in year yeah. out where should ohio state fall in the hierarchy of basketball programs yeah well you know just my personal opinion is that i, th I think that you know you should expect that ohio state is in the top you know to consistently in the top third the top four or five teams in the big 10 you should be a threat to win it every once in a while and you should at worst be you know kind of in that top third it's been a deep conference no doubt about it but there's a lot of basketball talent in this state and surrounding, and there, there's no reason that Chris Holtman or any Ohio State head coach can't get their fair share uh, of guys. So, you know, for me, I think when you think about the conference, it's, hey, you know, top third for sure, and then make a run here and there. 
every couple of years. Um, you know, you're going to have guys cycle in and out, transfer portal, things like that makes it tougher, guys leaving early. So, you know, it's a different challenge than it was when Fred Taylor was running, you know, was, was running things kind of deal. But on the national stage, I think, you know, sweet 16 every couple of years to me seems, you know, seems like a fair expectation or ceiling. You may not get there every single year, but it, you, you should be entering the tournament as a, you know, a four seed, a five seed kind of thing most years because there's no reason that Ohio State shouldn't be a top 20 program. I know we all you know, know that the shot sucks, but the facilities here are fine. The city is really, you know, the city is great. Um, the, the, the program itself has had some success. So, I, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at is, hey, this should be a, a second weekend in the tournament um, program more often than not um, and it should be a you know a, a program that could be a threat to, to win a big 10 title here and there and not you know hopefully because it's a down year in the league and everybody's got six or seven losses kind of thing but that you really could see them make a run all right well so given that and then you you watch the maryland game right and, and see how that kind of turns out we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit but for the Ohio State fan who's just kind of tuning in at the end of the season, right? They're they're wanting to know, okay, well, I'm going to pay attention to this team in March, so I'll watch these last couple games, and then they watch the Maryland game. How how would you explain? How would you contextualize a game like that to a fan who hasn't watched Ohio State under Holtman all that much? And and maybe they're more of a football fan, whatever. How how would you what would you compare that to? I guess. I, you know, I think the Maryland game is, is the fact of the matter is in college basketball, the, the best teams are going to lose games. This isn't college football where one loss and you're potentially screwed, right? Like you're going to lose right. games. So, think, and, and so are you saying that teams like blow leads, you know, that's a common thing? Like, I don't think it's as common as Chris Holtman would lead you to believe. <laughs> I, I think that, and I'm, you know, I think Coach Holtman is a, a super nice guy. He's been gracious to us. Like, I, I'm a yeah, fan no, of him great. as a person, and I, th- I think he's a decent coach. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, every time they lose, it's, hey, here's the hundred reasons that are, you know, why it happened kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you just get beat. But I, it's funny because the Maryland loss obviously was painful because Ohio State put themselves in position uh, to potentially, you know, grab a share of the Big Ten title after beating Illinois last Thursday night. Um, right. But, you know, nobody really, I want to say nobody, they were underdogs in that game. And I think most people, you know, probably felt like, it was definitely an upset that Ohio State won. If Ohio State's you know really competitive in that game but loses at the wire, fans probably aren't too angsty about it. And then they go and beat Maryland. You know, then they if they go and beat Maryland, it's like okay, yeah, that's about what we expected. But because it was the inverse of that, you know, you get kind of greedy because they beat Illinois, and it's like, well, hell, they should have no problem with Maryland, and they you know they kind of fell flat on their face in that one. So it's you know just kind of how college basketball rolls. But um, I, I mean. Gosh, that game was frustrating on so many levels. You actually yeah. hit it, you hit it early in Slack about Johnny about you know the the offensive rebounding and or just oh, rebounding yeah. in general. And I said at the time, well, you know Maryland's shooting like fifty five percent. If they come back to earth, maybe those numbers on the boards will. But what ended up happening was is in the second half, the offensive rebounding from Maryland, Ohio State could just not compete at all. I think the second chance points in the second half were 15 to two. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you throw that in a blender with you know, Ohio State turning it over like crazy and losing the points off turnover battle 18 to seven. And you've got yourself an inexcusable loss. I mean, it's not like they lost at the buzzer. They, they got dominated by a team that 
isn't really any good. I mean, like I said, Chris will tell you those how, how great they are and where they were preseason and this, that, and the other. That, that's not a very good basketball team. They played good yesterday, but that, that is not a great team. And, and to come in flat like that, I don't care how many games you played recently, that was a that was a tough pill to swallow when he was really had a chance to sniff his first Big Ten regular season crown since he's been here, and it went, went out the window in pretty painful fashion. The, the, the thing that game I think really highlighted was the extent to which Ohio State relies on EJ Liddell and increasingly in the last you know month, uh, Malachi Branham. When, when you've got those two guys going for, what, 7 of 23, I think 1 for 11 mm-hmm. from distance, uh, you lose by 15, it, you know, it really highlights that if those two guys are having – an off night or, or at least not just shooting the lights out. Like it seemed like one or the other of them had been recently. This team doesn't have an answer offensively. There's you know, the third shooter. What's the third shooter, Kyle Young. Uh, well, you know, in fairness, it was supposed to be just assuming. And again, yep, you know, I'm, yep. I'm the last one to be a Holtman apologist, but you should have had a, you know, you should have had a third score on this roster. All of a sudden you don't, if you're talking about four score and you're trying to figure out if it's Kyle Young one night, Zed Key one night, Jamari Wheeler one night, that's a totally different scenario. Cause you're right. I mean, I think, like you said, as Ohio state goes, as Liddell and Branham go, and, and that's the case for a lot of teams. Right. I think where things really get magnified for them is when you get in that third, you know, that three and four hole, it's like, oh gosh, who the heck is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, and in this case, I mean, I, I was floored by how bad the shooting was in general. And I'm, you know, looking at the stats right now and you just said, and you know, EJ and Malachi were seven for 23, but then you add, you know, Gene Brown getting in there one for six. Zed Yikes. was over four from the field. Yikes. Like it, I mean, yes, <laughs> you know, Jamari had, it was four for five and, and looked pretty good. Uh, Kyle Young had a pretty good game, like Russell, but uh, when you've got that starter, you know, that, that contribution from your starters being that poor, I don't know what you can do even on the boards, whatever else uh, to crawl back from that. That's just, I mean, that is just piss poor shooting. And I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that kind of performance from those guys all season. That's terrible. Yeah, that's the team that's actually shot well this year. You know, shot over fifty percent in many games. And yeah, know, like say, if if you're if you're not shooting well, you're going to be in big trouble. Especially if you're getting killed on. You know, if you're really getting hurt on the offensive glass and you're turning it over. Um, so yeah, all, all those things go into a stew and that was just a, a really flat performance. And, you know, like I said, I know they played a bunch of games and, you know, in a, in a fairly compressed time frame. but man, when you got so much on the line like that, I, I know the, you know, that, that team had to be just disappointed as the, uh, as the fans were. And, and you think, you know, you talk about, um, you know, maybe fatigue. I know Holtman talked about it after the game fatigue, you know, caught up with these guys a little bit. I do think it's really interesting that, um, what you heard Holtman talking about over the last week or so was that, you know, or maybe even a little bit further back was worried about Branham hitting the wall, right? He's the true freshman. He's the one whose role has increased as the years gone on. But EJ, what, what kind of wall is he hitting? Because right. he's only been, I was looking up some numbers today. He was the highest state's leading scorer in just four of the last 10 games and zero of the last four. Now that coincides with Branham, you know, going off, don't get me wrong, but and, and over the, the last seven games, he only shot over 50% in one of those games. And then from three-point land over the last seven games, you're talking about seven of 24 for 29% when he was shooting 38% coming into the season. So, you know, that some of that has been disguised.
disguised because Moran had been playing so well, you hadn't really noticed it so much with EJ, but as you know, clearly the go-to number one option on this team, he has not been at his best going back to really the Rutgers loss and they need for him to, you know, to, to pick it back up and kind of be that all world guy that they need. If they're going to, if they're going to make a run in either tournament here down the stretch. seemed like kind of a really weird sequence of events for the team in, in general, playing that compressed schedule. You talked about Liddell was what in the hospital with the flu at some right. point, yeah. I, you know, again, you, you, you really don't like to push out the, the excuses, particularly against a team like Maryland, that, that should have been a, you know, trot out whatever lineup you want and win that game uh, kind of scenario, as you, as you noted with everything on the line, but man, it just feels like there's been a really weird sequence of things that have, have happened to this team from the COVID layoffs, you know, there over the holidays and into January to then shoving all these games in a two week period and, you know, star guy, having a flu game oddly enough his flu game and the illinois game was pretty good and then it was the maryland game that kind of ended up being a being a stinker i mean can is the momentum in the wrong column here or or do you anticipate they're going to bounce back from this and and hit march in stride yeah that's a great question i i do think having nebraska you know on tuesday will be will be a good thing again you know fultman today is talking about how great nebraska's plan but i mean this is a bottom feeder in the big 10 that you've got to beat at home period end of conversation right so even if the big 10 champ regular season championship is out the door which it most likely is you're still playing for a double buy so uh, i would hope that they look at tuesday night as an opportunity to get back on track setting the stage for what's going to be you know a couple of a couple of bangers with michigan state and michigan to close it out so i, I think that you know I, I thought it was interesting you heard Holtman hinting the other day because he knows I mean we had him on the the 11 Warriors radio hour last week and you know the first question I asked him was hey you know thinking about a deep run in the Big Ten tournament versus you know trying to make the second weekend because you haven't you know you haven't been able to achieve that yet do you think about one versus the other from an importance factor kind of thing and you know he was like you know, he went through all the reasons why, you know, they, they've struggled with Laura Roberts and, and this, that, and the other. But the fact of the matter was, is that I think he does hear that he has not made, you know, a sweet 16 here or reached the, you know, the second weekend of the tournament. And I think that weighs, I think that weighs more heavily on him than he, you know, that he would want anybody to believe. So this week, when you think about Nebraska and Michigan state, not that Zed key is like the ultimate game changer, but with his ankle, you, yeah. know, you heard him post game saying, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, we got, we got to think about the rest of the season kind of thing. Cause he's thinking about last year when he didn't have Kyle young and the team was banged up and that, you know, they really weren't at, at full strength when, uh, you know, when things went real bad, real quick. So you know, I'm even wondering at this point, like he absolutely wants to get the double buy, don't get me wrong, but at what cost will he do that to, you know, to potentially jeopardize being as healthy as he can possibly be in the NCAA tournament, knowing that that's where most of his, you know, that's what most of his critics are pointing to. I really think the next three games, I mean, you kind of, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but there, there's some really interesting games after Nebraska in Michigan state and Michigan, just because, I mean, obviously with Michigan state, I mean, you're looking at a team, I think that's in a lot of ways kind of similar to, Oh, you know, Hawaii state and kind of how they performed over the season. But for me, Michigan is just, I mean, obviously the stuff with John Howard, you know, that's, that's a big deal. And that, you know, that's going to be the narrative and whatnot, but you know, we talk about underperforming and things like that. And, I don't know. I feel like that last game is going to be so critical for both teams 
going into March and trying to, I mean, you know, who knows if Michigan is even going to have a future in March, but like, I just, I don't know, man. It, it feels like these last three games are really, really important in a way that they aren't typically that important at the end of the season or the end of the regular season in most years. I don't know. I mean, to me, I feel like they've got to win at least two of these last three for me to feel good about the, both the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, the Nebraska game, they just have to win, right? The wheels are going to yeah. come off if they lose to Maryland and Nebraska back-to-back with one of those coming at home. But Michigan State's not played really good basketball lately. They just beat Purdue 68-65 to kind of get the you know thing back on the rails. But before that, they had lost three in a row and like mm-hmm. five of the previous six or something like that. So they'd kind of fallen on hard times after being at the top of the at the Big Ten. Right now they're what they're just behind Ohio State at 10 and 7. So that's a huge game for Ohio State if they plan on hanging on to the double bye. They absolutely need to beat uh, you know beat a Michigan State team that also has to go to Michigan before their season is over. Um, and then they have uh, Maryland, which is apparently awesome all of a sudden. But, um, <laughs> holding them off, I think, will be you know pretty huge because again, I think that double buy is big. If Ohio State can get in the Big Ten tournament and win a game, and you know maybe win two games, I think they'd be feeling really, really good. But th- that's not going to happen if they don't get that double buy. So, uh, and then you got like you said, you got a Michigan team. Talk about desperate. I mean, those guys you know, in the, in the big 10 are hanging in there at nine and eight, but they are a 15 and 12 overall. I know they got some quad one wins and that kind of thing, but they close with Michigan state, Iowa and Ohio state. You would think they need, you know, potentially depending on what happens in the big tournament, big 10 tournament, they need at least two of those, right? Preferably oh, yeah. Iowa and Ohio state to be two, be two ranked teams. But um, yeah, th- these are going to be, because the teams they're playing are clawing for position, just like Ohio state is, these are going to mm-hmm. be, be fights for sure right definitely like that they get these games at home right i mean we joke about the shot being a being a tomb uh but the home court advantage has been pretty good for ohio state this season in particular i think uh ken palm has them pretty highly rated in terms of a home court advantage uh, certainly just the one loss is a, is a nice thing but with the fatigue question not having travel in the mix uh has, has got to make things moderately easier than they would have been if you had to close with this stand on the road. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about that at all, but you're still looking at what three games in six days, I guess it is. And that mm-hmm. Sunday game is a, you know, a noon start. I think it's a 12, 1230 start um, after they play, you know, Thursday evenings, you yeah, talking gosh. about, you know, That's ugly. quick bounce back. You rather have that game at home than on the road for sure. But yeah, it's a bit of a, <clears throat> bit of a grinder. I mean, you guys know me, I, like I said, I, I like Holtman, but I also think that we hear a little bit too much, you know, excuse making from time to time, but they have because of the schedule with the Iowa and Nebraska cancellations, like you guys called out earlier, it's really made them play a lot of games in a, in a real short time frame, and that that is a tough task, especially in this league where any road game clearly is a tough one. Yeah, Johnny and I talked about that a few weeks ago on the show when those games were rescheduled. That you know, man, this seemed like it could be an, an area of concern, and it's certainly borne out that way. One thing I'm curious about, Chris. Um, when you look at not, not just this team in general, but if you, as you've watched the past couple of years and not being able to get to that second weekend of the tournament or not being able to bring home a conference crown, that sort of thing. I, I, I agree with you. I think 
Holtman, you, you know, certainly when you compare him to the likes of Juwan Howard or Brad Underwood or some of the other hotheads in the conference, you like that your coach isn't a big jackass. Uh, that's a nice thing if you're rooting for the team. But I also think he's he's a good basketball coach. So my question is, why do you think they haven't gotten there yet? Wherever wherever your definition of there is, they've they've kind of hit this spot where hey, it's a first weekend. Now you know they look like they have a pretty good season maybe some momentum what's missing or or what isn't clicking yet for this this squad is it just a series of unfortunate events or or is there some piece of the secret sauce that hasn't quite come together yet that's yeah, pretty you know pretty complex question for sure there's not just one magic bullet in there i think that you know i i, 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 I like things simple chris you know yes, <laughs> yes or no answers black and white you know <laughs> that's why we brought you on right like to ask the ask the tough ones because it's it's been puzzling me trying to figure it out like you know because you can't just point to one thing and be like oh gosh if they do this plus Right, right. Well, you know, a couple things that stick out to me. One is that I think late game execution is often Mm -hmm. not good. Like we talk about, you know, blowing leads and that kind of thing. But I I just, I don't know, for me, sometimes I feel like in tight games, you see Ohio State play not to lose. If they've got a lead, they kind of go into a shell. They'll tell you that they don't, but man, everything kind of slows down and Mm -hmm. end up playing ISO ball at the end. That was obviously a huge issue last year when it felt like at the end of every game, it was like, oh, what do we do now? Let's hand it to Dwayne and hope he hits a 25, you know, fade away or something um so i think that's been a problem i think whether it's injuries slash recruiting or whatever it is i don't think they go deep enough down the rotation as a scorer this isn't you know this year we're talking about it with with malachi and liddell and like okay who's the third scorer with with suing out but you know that, that's that's been an issue in, in previous years as well where you just maybe don't have enough guys right you just don't have enough dudes that can go go get you a bucket um so, I, you know, I, I think it's a handful of things um, that kind of get, you know, thrown together. So it's, I don't know, man, it's tough. It's, it's hard to, I, I make no excuse for last year. I don't care who was hurt or whatever. I, you know, Oral Roberts, boy, they were playing really well. They're 15 seed. I mean, no, you know, nobody, seriously, they're a good that, team. That's 15 no, seed in history, wants to hear you know? that. Yeah, yeah. Even if they were, you can't lose that game kind of thing. Yeah. So, I, you know, like I said, I think, you know, maybe some late game execution is a problem. But even with execution, more often than not, Jimmy, Jimmy's and Joe's beat X's and O's. And I think sometimes they just run into where they, you know, maybe they don't have enough Jimmy's and Joe's. But which is why I think even if somebody is a Holtman, you know, like a big time detractor and once I'm gone, I think you still got to get through the the next year at the most or year after. Right. Because the class you got coming in next year is going to be the best class that he had. If If Malachi sticks around, you're really talking about having, you know, might have something next year and the year after kind of thing that could even be better than what we saw, you know, last year or this year. So uh, I know people are tired of being, you know, being patient. I, I frankly am too, but I think just the timing of, of, you know, what's coming in and what might be back or, or just things that, you know, you know, I mean, Gene's going to see it through regardless, but I think as a fan, you got to hang in there and realize that there still could be um, some brighter days ahead, even if this uh, you know, program has been frustrating for you over the last couple. I think what's frustrating sometimes though, is you watch, you watch the team and you want, it feels like it's just centered around one guy in every game. And it's not always the same guy. I mean, it's often been EJ or Malachi, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you're an Ohio State fan, especially one that's been watching since Thadmata, you want multiple stars. You want to have threats that you can kind of rely on, right? Like when you're watching, I don't know, when you're watching like even Evan Turner and all them, it's not just the Evan Turner show, right? There were other guys that you were, you could watch on that team and go, okay, that guy's a threat. He can score 20. Like 
it, it doesn't feel like they've had that consistently all around the court. And, you know, you look at a guy like Justin Arns who just completely fallen off the face of the planet, right. In the past month or so in terms of, you know, both minutes and, and shots and things like that, there, it just doesn't feel like there is consistency. I think, especially when you're watching these games casually and, and, you know, for me, when I'm watching the Maryland game, I'm like, okay, well, EJ doesn't really have it going. Malachi, then it's done. Like, I didn't I didn't feel like Ohio State was going to mount some kind of crazy comeback in the second half because it didn't feel like anybody could shoot. And I don't know. That's I think as a fan, that's frustrating. I think that can be really demoralizing when you're like, well, if, that, if these things aren't working, if this one or two thing isn't working, then there's no way. They don't have a shot. And that's that can be frustrating, I think. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, it goes back to what is your margin for error in those kind of situations. Yeah, exactly. and, and if it's not very big, then yeah, you get upset because you're really counting on two guys to, you know, pump in a combined, hell, at least 35 points, if not closer to 40. Right. And that's, yeah, I mean, over, over time, that's problematic. So yeah, it just goes back to, you know, kind of what, what I was saying with the Jimmies and the Joes. I mean, you got to have guys that can score. He, he's talked about it, and Holtman's talked about it a bunch this year, uh, lamenting, you know, not having that third score and even, you know, even like a fourth one that you could count on here or there. Um, there's no real established picking order after that. And again, suing, you know, would have picked up one of those spots, but you're still like, okay, you know, Jamari Wheeler some nights is, you know, playing pretty well. Other nights you have no idea. Arns, like you said, is pretty much just not even a, not even a guy anymore. Russell's pretty much taking all his meaningful minutes uh, and doing some things here. There jeans in because he's long and he can defend a little bit and whatever, but obviously he's still hot and cold. I will say he is way better than he was last year. When we got mm-hmm. the ball in his hands, it looked like he wanted, it was a hot potato, right? He needed to get rid of it. It's like he didn't want it. Um, and he does look a little bit more fluid, but that, that's not a guy that you're going to, you know, you're going to count on as a, as a third score at any point yet. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that is, uh, you know, that's hurting this team and it just puts that much more pressure on a true freshman and Malachi Branham and then Liddell, who's been, you know, been carrying the team um, for the balance of the season as, as Malachi, you know, kind of came along and, yeah, the flu and the get you know the compressed schedule and all that kind of stuff's taking its toll. So this definitely feels like a team that you know needs some rest. And then even if it enters in the postseason full bore, that that margin for error it basically requires that Brandon and Liddell are on their game, giving them about forty a night, or else it's probably going to be an early exit. Talked about Branham quite a bit for obvious reasons. You know, he's Big Ten Freshman of the Week again, uh, and he's just really come on like a house of fire. Uh, how gone is he? And, uh, uh, you know, where do you think he slots into a, uh, hypothetical draft? Has he played himself into a lottery pick yet? Yeah, I don't think he's done it yet. I think that he has the potential to do it for sure. I still, I don't know. I I go back and forth. I mean, he has a huge game. You're like, he's gone. But then you see a game like Saturday, um, and it, it, to me, it's not even the – he shot like, what, 4 or 13 or whatever it was on Saturday. That wasn't even it for me. I think with Brandon, if you're, if you're a, a scout and you're nitpicking his game, and I know this will sound funny to casual NBA observers because they're like, oh, they don't play defense in the NBA. But Malachi's got a long way to go, I think, with on-ball defense, with blocking out, with, um, you know, being aware of screens. And, you know, I mean, they, he got abused a couple times in the Maryland game, not boxing out his man, giving up some man ones. Uh, the Iowa, Iowa game, they were back screening them to death and getting open shots on the wing. I think there's just still some awareness defensively that he's got room. Now, again, that's not going to keep you from, you know, getting, getting drafted high potentially, but I think that's something he knows he can improve on. And then I think at the offensive end, you know, we've, you know, 
we've seen it. I think he's gotten much stronger with the ball as the year has gone on. He's a three-level scorer. I mean, there isn't much that he can't do offensively. So um, he could come out this year and would probably, even if he was late first, you know, even if he played himself in the late first round or something, to me, the case would still be come back, be the be the true go-to guy and play yourself into a lottery. If you're an Ohio State fan, at least, this is, you know, and you're selfish about it, this is what you're telling yourself, right? <laughs> but what could happen, I think that would be good for Ohio State fans, if he plays himself into a lottery pick this year, that probably means Ohio State went pretty far in March Madness, right? Because he right. was, you know, just going going bonkers um, with Liddell and keying, keying this team on a run. And if that happens, like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I, I would, I would, I would trade a even a Final Four for Branham being gone just because of the momentum that would give for the program and recruiting and you oh, know, sure. guys, guys are going to go. It's next man up kind of thing. If he, you know, if they just get to the Sweet Sixteen and lose or something, and he goes, yeah, that'd probably sting a little bit more. But I, I don't know. I think you know. I heard him saying the other day he was talking to Dave Holmes on WBNS, and it was like, yeah, no, that's the goal is to play basketball for money, you know, which of course it is. Um, but I don't know. How man. dare he acknowledge that? Yeah, How yeah. dare he? I just, but, but not for the love of the game. Money? Jeez. <laughs> Maybe he makes more money if he comes back as a lottery pick right now. I, I, I do think it's a little bit more 50, 50 time will tell, you know, cruel special than I think he's definitely gone. Like, you know, people were thinking after the Illinois game. Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what his, the rest of his season looks like. And, I, and I'm with you, you know, you'd trade, you, you would trade one in the hand is worth two in the bush as it were. So I'd trade performance now for, for potential later. Let's pretend he has that kind of run and plays himself into, uh, you know, going to the draft and, and he and Liddell are bye-bye. Thank you for your contributions. What's this team look like a year from now? Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely make it a, a lot more interesting, right? I mean, you do have some, you know, you do got some big time guys coming in. Bruce Thornton at, at point jumps out, you know, that that's that's a guy. Roddy Gales, you know, another guy. It's a shooting guard that they've, they're, you know, these are these are top sixty players in the class. Felix Akbara, a true center coming in, six eleven, two ten, uh, top fifty prospect in twenty four seven, you know, and then uh, Bryce Sensabaugh is number sixty one nationally. So you got four guys coming in that are essentially top 60 players um, next year. And then Bowen Hardman's kind of that, you know, three-point guy. It's a three-star, more, more on the fringe. But that, that in and of itself definitely gives them, you know, so, some pieces next year. Because, I mean, we saw it with Brandon. True, true freshmen can play. They may not necessarily all be freshmen of the year in the Big Ten type material, but, they, you know, they, they, they can play. And then you're still going to have, you know, I mean, Obviously, Malachi, if he comes back, everything will go through him. But Michi's back. Gene Brown's back. Zed Key's back. Uh, gosh, you know, I, I think that's the, the that's the main core that would be back. I think, you know, suing potentially, depending on what he wants to do, has an opportunity to come back. So they're going to have some guys. And we think about the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff. Who the hell knows, right? I mean, any, anything could happen. I was holding out hope they were going to get Marcus Carr last year for about right. 10 minutes before he went, you know, before he went to <laughs> Texas. So... Um, you know, if this team enters in next year without Branham and out Liddell, you got to think on the transfer market, there could be a legit score that's like, whoa, they got a lot of other pieces. I can come in there and be the guy, kind of like, you know, like I said, I was hoping maybe a, a Marcus Carr would do when Ohio State was looking for a point guard. Obviously, Holtman was looking for a defensive first guy. Um, but I mean, if Carr fell into his lap, I, I have a feeling he probably would have taken him. But, um, you, you know, it, 
it, the, the cupboard won't be completely bare next year, but I'm sure um, Holtman was thinking he was going to get at least two years out of Brown. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I agree with you, by the way, I, I would definitely, I, for the sake of the momentum of the, the program in general, I mean, if he balls out and they get to the final four, go, go get your money, young man. I'm totally cool with that. Um, because I, you know, I was thinking about all this, like we look at the expectations of the program and I think they are based on Thad Mata's best years, right. Where you really are looking at not, I'm not even just talking about like 06, but that whole run he had where Ohio state's winning like what, like four out of five big 10 championships or whatever it was. Um, that's, that's unreasonable. I don't think that's something that can really easily be replicated, but I also think that if you're not super locked into basketball, that's what you want to see. And I like, I want to see Holtman and this team be successful because there's a lot to like about it. I mean, and not just in terms of, you know, entertaining basketball, but just a lot of likable dudes. Um, so I would be 100% cool with that. And, and maybe that's, the evolution of the program where you have to have maybe a guy who could potentially be one and done because he's so good and then just kind of adjust to that. So I don't, I I'm okay with a situation like that. I would be fine with that scenario. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I think, you know, Holtman probably would too as well, right? yeah. as much as you'd like to have him next year. I think he would um, not, you know, it's funny because I don't think he's living and dying by critics, but I also think no. that of all the, coaches I think of I, I do think he's more cognizant of how he's perceived and more interested in how he's perceived whether it's you know looking on Twitter and reading stuff or you know looking on websites and seeing what's out there I'm not even saying that's right or wrong but but I get the sense he's maybe reads more of that stuff than he would you know than he would um, you know tell you when, when Keels and Stokes are you know asking him about asking about things on the Monday coaches show. Well, in that case, Coach, you know, lots of love from the 11 Dubcast. Feel free to come <laughs> on the show anytime uh, in the event that you are listening to this. He's uh, so gracious. He, if he heard it, he probably would. I mean, I, you know, I've the, talked to him on DM and it's like, you know, hey, I want to have you on the show sometime. Okay. I ask him and he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, literally three days later, while they're in Champaign getting ready for the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I'll hop on. Hops on at 930 at night. I mean, you know, I class dude all the way I, I never say anything bad about him as a uh, you know as a, as a person for sure and yeah. i'm sure he's a great leader of these kids you know by extension yeah and and as i i said earlier particularly after you watch the antics of some of the other uh, big 10 coaches uh not not hard to be a fan of ohio state's current head coach chris louderback thank you for coming on the program uh we've been trying to get you on for a few weeks i'm glad the stars finally aligned because you uh you you, you like having when we have kyle jones to talk on about basketball uh football x's and o's i learn something every time you come on the program and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to uh, have the chance to pick your brain and talk shop a little bit. So we'll, we'll do this again as the uh, postseason rolls on somewhere between the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. So until then, thanks for joining us on the Dubcast. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it as always. All right, Johnny, great segment. And let's, uh, let's keep the fun on rolling with, with my second favorite segment, other than having experts like uh, Chris or Kyle on, and that is Ask Us Anything. Good time to remind you that Ask Us Anything is brought to you by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers, all the gifts and memorabilia for the discerning fan of sports and the finer things in life can be found at drygoods.11warriors.com. All right, my friend, what do we have in the mailbag this week? 
So we want to remind you that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com. And our question is from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know if we were to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl, what would our celebration be? <laughs> and one. I would say the icky shuffle. That's, that's be- the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> it, but Okay, so two things. First of all, I don't know. Have you ever seen like these super elaborate, uh, touchdown celebrations that they do in the CFL. Oh, I don't know about the CFL ones. I was also thinking about the uh, super elaborate ones from the championship game in uh, uh, the classic film Varsity Blues. They, they, <laughs> was it, was it, well, they're similar. Was... They're they're very similar to that. <laughs> I would say they're comparable. I would okay. say those two things are very comparable. <laughs> yes, that's actually that that's vars- any any of the ones in Varsity Blues. I think would be an excellent. So movie. many good ones in that, and I, and I love the the the. the one of my favorite movies anyway just in general as schlocky as it is at times oh my god um, well, no that's why it's good it's, I, yeah, it's it is. super it, campy it, it, it is and it, it's just it's fantastic and I, my one of my favorite parts is when uh uh is it jules i think tells uh mox and you're a whiner and i'm thinking i'm glad somebody finally said it old boy's <laughs> been old boy's been pissing at his cornflakes this whole movie yeah uh, it was great but yeah the the that game and but the uh play-by-play guy and the, and, the, and the color announcer on the radio you know you like jim bob and and billy ray right, whatever right, their right. names were there's no kind of place for that hurly burly in this <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah there is dude this is hilarious yeah no yeah. that was that's an excellent choice i the icky shuffle i mean is you know it's iconic it's iconic and it's it's in you know it, it's a cultural thing for southwest Ohio, but uh, it's not it's not a particularly good celebration it's just it's just good it, because... it was at the time right like because that wasn't that big a, i mean what was well, the most of... had an incredible season he had he had that incredible season he was run over and everybody and um uh, Bengals are really good and so that became a thing and then that was pretty much the only really good season that icky woods had Ever. But, yeah yeah really but on the other hand there's there's a plethora of, of touchdown celebrations to choose from and by the way how soon we forget as Bengals fans, and I'm speaking to the, the three Bengals fans listening to this, how, <laughs> how soon we forget that Chad Johnson, once upon a time, was the best, the absolute best in terms of touchdown celebration. Yeah. So I would try, like, remember, I mean, not even, you know, where he did the putting thing with the pylon. Yes, so where, good. But and, and he did all kinds of stuff. But honestly, the greatest one that he did was the Bengals played a game around Christmas and he had stashed a Christmas like Santa sack on the sidelines full of like, you know, shoes and, and footballs and all kinds of like jerseys and stuff. And after he scored, he got his Santa sack and he just started tossing it into the crowd. Oh, that's awesome. And that's incredible. And that's what I'm saying. So I would have to, if I were to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I would have to try to replicate something along that level of, of entertainment. I mean, that's some like Andy Coffin stuff. And I like, it's not enough to have a cool dance or something. I, I want to be able to create something, create an experience for the people in attendance is my point. Um, the, I don't the Santa know. Santa bag Maybe. thing reminds me like the guy that, uh, you know, more recently that I, I loved, of course, the no fun league had to step in, but, Terrible. uh, Ezekiel Elliott with the, uh, the, the year they had the, um, um, Salvation Army kettles, you know, at the end zone and yeah, he dives yeah, yeah. in the kettle, you know, like that was great. I love that. It was, it was, it was fun. Yeah. 
And of course, the NFL's like, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's, not allowed there's no to, yeah. funnel out here. <laughs> right. Terrible. So I yeah, that would be my answer. I, I would I don't know, but I would have to come up with something that would be like thematically appropriate and also really like big, like some kind of extravagant. I don't know. Maybe I would find like bottle rockets and like light them or something. Like I'd stick them in the ground and like light them off or, you know, something just incredibly obnoxious and and just over the top because that's look, I, <laughs> I'm an unathletic 37 year old man. If I could somehow score a touchdown in the Super Bowl, I I'm getting banned from the Super Bowl <laughs> <laughs> forever. Yeah. Right. For the touchdown no, that I just, we're, yeah. we're going to go out smoking, man. <laughs> oh, of course. Are you kidding me? I only get one they're going to have to kick me out of the stadium. So that's, that's basically <laughs> my, my take on that. Um, so thank you for asking that question. That's all we got. Uh, we only had one this week. Please consider asking us anything. Send those questions in dubcast at 11warriors.com. And like I said, we love answering all kinds of questions. Yeah. You guys never let us down with these. It's fantastic. All right. A couple of, couple of odds and ends before we get this tractor back in the barn. Uh, Michigan quarterback JJ McCarthy is feeling his oats. As sure. we say back home on the farm said this week, all we know is beating Ohio state as part of a, uh, a, a quote, the young Wolverine <laughs> says for us, the whole 10 year stretch of us not winning. That's all we know is beating Ohio state right How, now. Okay. Uh, how does michigan transform from being the program with the longest freaking memory in college sports oh yeah we take a lot of pride in those you know wins over high state from the you know wilson administration (laughs) and now and now it's like oh well the only thing that matters is the last six months that's it that's all the only thing that's the only thing that matters we beat ohio state once and that's that we're back on even footing like i'm sorry you don't get to do that either either all of this matters which by all of this i mean the last 20 years of ohio state dominance or you can just pick the immediate past and that's fine too but you gotta you gotta stick with one you don't get to be like this this great you know amazing team with this incredible history and then also say like, oh, but all that matters is the fact that we beat Ohio State once in ten years. That's well, and, ignore and course, the other nine. The eight, other thing this highlights, and and you know, to pick a an old scab, uh, is that Ohio State was favored by thirty in two thousand twenty before that game was canceled due, in a, due to an alleged COVID nineteen oh outbreak uh, at Michigan, an, an outbreak which uh, nonetheless featured oh. a spirited practice. Andy, as, uh, I think they did have. Here's here's the thing about that. I, and, and people, I think, always get this twisted. I think they, like a lot of people are like, oh, they were lying about COVID. I don't think they're lying about COVID. I think, I think about it, I think probably a third or half the team probably had COVID. They only cared about it enough to cancel the game with Ohio State. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. Like, they had it. They just realized that that was their out. Yep. And then when that was done, they're like, oh, but we could still practice. Nobody's going to yeah, say it's fine. about it. And it's so fine. they went ahead and do okay. that. So one was acceptable. One thing was acceptable for them to do. The other one wasn't. And they realized that there was a higher reward for doing one than the other. And that's why they made that choice. So yes, it was still born out of cowardice. I don't think they lied about COVID. I just think they, they made, they, they made their decision. It, it wasn't based on health. It was based on immediate, like, you know, cost benefit analysis that's that's really what it was for them the so. uh, good news for ohio state fans is that mr mccarthy's bulletin board material is already on the digital bulletin boards at the woody hayes athletic center nice uh, saw saw via social media posts that uh the quote is uh, posted prominently inside the whack and 
one imagines it will be uh, in eyesight for the program for the next 200 some days until the game is again renewed and Ohio State yep. writes uh, <laughs> much needed to be righted wrong. All right. Other uh, football odds and ends. This is a topic that uh, you, you wrote about this week and that you have been following for some years. Declining college football attendance. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really interesting uh, report looking at the trends. Uh, and, and you and I have talked about this on the program before that Ohio state is not immune to this, but when you looked at this multi-year report coming out this week, uh, you kind of give us the gist of, of what you wrote about and, and sure. what, what you see as the state of college football attendance and, and will these trends continue mm-hmm. in the 2022 and, and beyond? Is there any hope for getting fans back in the stands, so to speak? Uh, well, so Dennis Dodd wrote this for CBS and he kind of looked at the overall attendance issues that college football has had accepting. And he did accept 20. I mean, people are like, oh, well, COVID, nah, he tried to, he tried to account for that as much as he could. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know a lot of people, you know, Dennis Dodd and they poo poo with that. And that's not necessarily the worst point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. but you're not going to get much argument from me if you're uh, taking yeah. shots at Dodd of, of all of the national, uh reporter right. slash pundit types who are out there but he's just dealing with kind of raw numbers here yeah and in this case the data is there yeah it is and what's interesting actually the big 10 big 10 attendance actually went up and and that could be in part because um you know big like they actually i don't know honestly because he he did try to account for covid um i do think part of it is you've got some I think the big 10 is doing a little bit to try to get more fans in the seats a little bit than, than maybe some of the other places. They're trying to be more creative, I guess is what I'm saying. They're, they're doing things with concessions in terms of alcohol, that kind of stuff. So the big 10 actually ticked up very, very slightly um, over 2019, but pretty much everybody else is down. And um, I think the national average is like under 40 K at this point, which I know an Ohio state fan might go like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Like the average is under 40 K for a game. And that's true. Um, but what really struck me, I, I honestly cannot stop thinking about it since that, uh, that Tulsa game where, you know, they had 76, they had 76,000 claimed fans at that game. Right. Right. That was, that was, that that was how many tickets they sold. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That does not mean that's how many people are actually in the stadium, which I would probably put closer to like 60, um, given what I was saying uh that's i mean that that's the lowest since the 70s and that's that's i mean coming remember in the 70s didn't have the permanent south stands you know like that's that's a long long time ago um after a lot of improvements and uh seating additions to the shoe so for that to be the case that's that's kind of profound and I don't think it's going to reverse at all. I think you're just going to kind of see those trends continue. And, you know, you had some really huge games that they did not sell out. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think Ohio State really only got above capacity. I mean, it was like for their home games, I think it was just over half of their games. They, they were at capacity um, or over 100,000. And a lot of them were below 100,000. And that's, that's the new reality. That's pretty much where they're at. Um, and I, I've been telling people this for years to get ready for this. You might see a Michigan game 
this coming season, although maybe not given that, you know, Michigan beat the hell out of Ohio state that, you know, it's a revenge game. So that could change the equation, but sooner or later you're going to see a Michigan game at Ohio stadium where there are empty seats in the stands. And that is going to be, blow some people's minds. Um, I don't think it'll happen this year just because of the, you know, the way the situation is, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's coming. And again, it's not because of the product on the field, which is still amazing. It's just, it's how people are consuming the sport and that that's going to be a reality for people that they're going to have to realize and deal with. And one of the challenges I think for a program like Ohio state is, you know, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, you need to rip out some of those seats and create a better uh, experience with, yeah. you know, it, it, the, the physical seating uh, in the stadium. The problem is that, you know, that, that would also suggest a more expensive uh, experience and it's hard to imagine Ohio State tickets getting more expensive. So, so it feels like the things that I might think of to make a better in stadium experience uh, would would actually exacerbate the attendance issue because it would drive up cost. You know, you fewer seats, better amenities suggest higher per ticket cost. Higher per ticket cost, you know, mean fewer people willing to pay the money. You know, so it becomes a weird sort of uh circular problem i I don't know that i have a great set of answers but i I agree with you i don't think the trends are reversing anytime soon and on the other hand i'm glad to see that uh as you noted in your article the power brokers are are now talking about it at least and maybe we'll take maybe we'll take fan concerns uh a little more a little more seriously and uh try to to come up with an overall better in arena experience so to speak yeah well and we'll see we'll see what ohio state does i mean they're coming up on the 100th anniversary of the shoe um so you know maybe that will be the impetus to do some stuff in addition to the declining attendance let's uh finish this thing up with one last uh topic of sort of sort of a uh, a fun one um former ohio state players johnny dixon and mike weber were selected in the usfl draft are you on the usfl hype train uh <laughs> is the xfl coming back or not i'm a little I don't, no, on I don't status so. of that one uh but but are you, are you on the usfl hype train and ready to see weber and dixon go out there and, and play their no. way into no okay all right <laughs> no I don't know. I mean, I will say it was kind of funny watching Matt McGloin play and I guess the XFL or whatever it was, um, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, Matt, I know who Matt McGloin is. Um, but that's that's like the extent of it. Like, I'm not really watching it for quality football because it's not going to be. Um, if I'm going to watch the B team, you know, like, I'll bring back what I mentioned earlier in the dubcast. I'll watch the CFL. I'll see how the Canadians are doing. And that's at least got, you know, extra little juice of being Canadian. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, yeah, seeing dudes who couldn't make an NFL roster kind of run around. I'm good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I'll share before we close this thing up, Big Ten Championship precedes announced this week for wrestling as we roll into the postseason in that sport. The Big Ten tournament will be this weekend in Lincoln. Uh, The uh, Buckeyes got two number one overall seeds. 149 pounder Sammy Sasso, who is number two overall in the country, 
and uh, number one seed Carson Karchler is number four overall at 165 pounds in the latest rankings. Um, really uh, good seed for Malik Heinzelman at 125, coming in at a number four seed, Caleb Romero at 184 with a number three seed. So uh, Buckeyes seeded relatively well, at least they're, they're heavy hitters. Uh, you had Ethan Smith coming in at a number five. I thought he might be up uh, to a number four seed, but, but those, those five guys, um, in good position to do well in the Big Ten tournament. So we'll have some coverage of that this weekend, and we'll talk about that and everything else Ohio State-related next week on the Dubcast. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. We'll see you on the 11 Dubcast.